Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Good morning, everyone. I hope you all are having a great week so far. Um, we are diving into Leviticus 5 today. Leviticus 5. Um, man, there's some really, really good stuff in here. Uh, even though Leviticus seems to be, it's it's a at first glance, it's such a very tough book to kind of go through. But when you really take a step back, um, I, I did this about a year ago that I really just took a deep dive into Leviticus and sat there and really try to pull out the the principles and the purpose and the meaning and how it points to Jesus and it points to our humanity so much. And uh, it can easily become a very favorite book of yours if you really dive into it that way. So let's look at Leviticus 5 in through that kind of lens um, and really seeing what God is trying to really stir in our hearts with what he's talking about here. But let's pray and let's get into the word and see what we have for this morning. Lord, we just love you so much and we thank you so much for all that you are and all that you do. Lord, you just continue to be in our hearts and our minds, continue to uh, work in our lives, continue to uh, lift us up, build us up, encourage us, guide us, and uh, give us wisdom and understanding of what you are doing and that we be on your will and not our own. Lord, I just surrender myself to you, that this word be yours and not my own, and that you teach us, including myself this morning, in your will. In Jesus Christ's name, I pray. Amen and amen. All right, Leviticus 5. So let's get into it. Let's uh, get that sip of coffee. And um, let's see what he's got. All right. Um, reading out of the New Living Translation, as I have been recently, um, verse 1, if you are called to testify about something you have seen or that you know about, it is sinful to refuse to testify, and you will be punished for your sin. Or suppose you unknowingly touch something that is ceremonially unclean, such as the carcass of unclean of an unclean animal, when you realize what you have done, you must admit your defilement and your guilt. This is true whether it is a wild animal or a domestic animal or an animal that scurries along the ground. Verse 3, or suppose you unknowingly touch something that makes a person unclean. When you realize what you have done, you must admit your guilt. Or suppose you make a foolish vow of any kind, whether its purpose is for good or for bad. When you realize its foolishness, you must admit your guilt. When you become aware of your guilt in any of these ways, you must confess your sin. Then you must bring to the Lord as a penalty for your sin, a female from the flock, either a sheep or a goat. This is a sin offering, which <clears throat> with which 
the priest will purify you from your sin, making you right with the Lord. Verse 7, but if you cannot afford to bring a sheep, you may bring to the Lord two turtle doves or two young pigeons as the penalty for your sin. One of the birds will be for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. You must bring them to the priest who will present the first bird as the sin offering. He will wring its neck, but without severing its head from the body. Then he will sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering against the sides of the altar, and the rest of the blood will be drained out at the base of the altar. This is an offering for sin. The priest will then <clears throat> prepare the second bird as a burnt offering, following all the procedures that have been prescribed. Through this process, the priest will purify you from your sin, making you right with the Lord, and you will be forgiven. If you cannot afford to bring two turtle doves or two pigeons, you may bring two quarts of choice flour for your sin offering. Since it is an offering of, <laughs> for sin, you must not moisten it with olive oil or put any frankincense in it. Take the flour to the priest who will scoop out a handful as a representative uh, portion. He will burn it on the altar on top of the special gifts presented to the Lord. It is an offering for sin. Though this, Through this process, the priest will purify those who are guilty of any of these sins, making them right with the Lord, and they will be forgiven. The rest of the flour will, be, uh, will belong to the priest just as the grain offering. Verse 14, then the Lord said to Moses, if one of you commits a sin by unintentionally defiling the Lord's sacred property, you must bring a guilt offering to the Lord. The offering must be your own ram with no defects, or you may buy one of equal value with silver as measured by the weight of the sanctuary shekel. You must make restitution for the sacred property you have harmed by paying for the loss, plus an additional 20%. When you have given the payment to the priest, you will purify, he will purify you with the ram sacrificed as a guilt offering, making you right with the Lord, and you will be forgiven. Supposedly, uh, suppose you sin by violating one of the Lord's commands. Even if you are unaware of what you have done, you are guilty and will be punished for your sin. For a guilt offering, you must bring to the priest your own ram with no defects, or you may buy one of equal value. Through this process, the priest will purify you from your unintentional sin, making you right with the Lord, and you will be forgiven. This is a guilt offering, for you have been guilty of an offense against the Lord, the word of the Lord. All right. At first glance, it's like, all right, this is just a bunch of religious rules of what I got to do if I done messed up, right? Let's really dive into it. Let's kind of take this step by step. So if you have seen at very first, the very first um, uh, verse here, if you are called to testify about something you have seen, or that you know about, not heard about, not something that you've uh, heard through the grapevine that you know, you know about it, or you've blatantly seen it, 
It is a sin to refuse to testify, and you will be punished for your sin. Let's dive into this a little bit and just saying that, you know, it's kind of like if a car accident happens, um, actually, this happened to me when I was in college one time. I was walking to a class, uh, one of my night classes, and this car goes right through uh, the red light and smashes into this lady that just is taking the green light like she's supposed to. And just this guy's just flying, smashed right into her. She didn't know what was up, what was down, what was left, what was right. She was knocked. I mean, she was fine physically as far as like nothing broken, amazing um, and all of that. But mentally, she wasn't there. The guy that ran right through that light as well also had no idea who he even was anymore. (laughs) Both of them were just unable to really speak to the police coherently. I was there at the corner about to cross the street as this happens. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's interesting. The police showed up. I basically, I stayed there because I knew they needed a testify of somebody that was coherent to see what was going on. Not only was I still there, it's because I also ran over to see if the lady was okay and the other guy. And because like I was right there at the corner. I was like, what am I going to, oh my gosh, let's, are they okay? And she's trying to stumble out of the car and I get her to sit on the curb and do all of this. But if you see something going on and you don't testify, you don't bring truth to light, you're allowing, you're allowing that evil to continue. You're allowing whatever it is to, to not, you're allowing misconception or anything else to go on and not make sure that truth is coming out. It's not so much a car accident, but it could be anything, whatever uh, you witness. If you witness evil and you say nothing, you are allowing that evil to continue. Now, don't take this too far. There's a level that I think in our society, we're taking this to a little extra level that a lot of people are trying to say, I'm, I'm speaking truth to whatever some politician said, and I think they're lying. Well, you think, or do you know, were you there? Were you part of it? Do you have full witness to everything? There's a part where I think we are getting a little too far ahead of ourselves and we're getting too involved in things that get, that we don't know about and that we didn't witness. The Lord saying that you have seen this or you know it for a fact. You know it for a fact, not, oh, well, this account says that this person and this politician, and you're going, we see too much of this going on in, in our society. But really what the Lord is saying, if you know for a fact and you witnessed it and you don't testify and you allow evil to continue, what good are you? What are you doing? He's saying we have to be speaking truth. We have to be speaking into this in our lives. To take this even a step further, we have to be speaking of the truth of Christ. We have to be proclaiming the truth that we do know and that we do have evidence for that Christ is truth, that Christ is the hope of the world, that Christ has paid the penalty. He has been all of this sin offering for us. He has atoned for that and has completely conquered death in his resurrection. 
the truth of Jesus Christ must be what we are professing more than anything. Don't let evil continue. We must proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ because he's the one that's conquered it all. You and I can't conquer evil, but Jesus did. And so what side are we on? What side are we on? Let's proclaim the goodness of God. Let's proclaim the truth of our Lord. Make sure that we're saying the truth to what is going on. The, uh, as we get deeper into this, there's one thing I want to kind of note. God talks about something five, four times in here, four solid times. He says in, wow, in verse two, second sentence, when, uh, when you realize what you have done, you must admit your defilement and your guilt. In verse three, at the very end of that uh, last sentence, you must admit your guilt. In verse four, at the end of that sentence, you must admit your guilt. And finally, in verse five, when you become aware of your guilt, in many ways, you must confess your sin. We see four times that God is saying that whether you realize it or not, at some point, you must admit your guilt. You must confess your sins. This is a huge part, and he's saying this four times before we even get to the actual ceremonial part of the sacrifice. Why is that? Well, we're spilling blood here, Lord. We're, we're giving of, uh, of an offering that means a lot to us in some way, shape, or form, depending on, and we get to different levels, depending on otherwise your economic standing of what you can afford but it's still a sacrificial giving. Why, why, am, why are we talking about this four times beforehand? Because we can't just go through a sacrificial giving without understanding the true meaning of this. The true meaning is for you not to have to do a sacrificial giving, a sacrificial offering, a sacrificial death on your behalf for your sin. It's for you to realize the sin that you have, confess it, ultimately repent and turn away from it. Let this be the last goat or sheep that you sacrifice for that sin. Let this be the last pair of pigeons that you give. May this be the last set of flour, of choice flour that you give up for that sin. The idea here is realize what you did wrong and learn from it. Let's go forth and not commit this again. Let's be in obedience to the Lord instead of sacrifice. Obedience is always more important and more beneficial, not only for ourselves, but it's a form of worship to our Lord. Much more, much more than sacrifice. He'd rather see us be obedient in the first place than have to go through all of this for the forgiveness of our sin. So yes, he does recognize that sometimes we don't understand what's going on. We're not cognizant of, and we make mistakes that we don't realize until later on. 
And so God gives us this way to be able to uh, atone for that sin here in the Old Testament. But of course, in our New Testament context, Jesus took on all of this. We no longer have to be afraid of PETA for sacrificing, sacrificing goats and sheep or two turtle doves or giving up of mama's flower. We no longer have to do this because God so loved us so much that he sent his only son. Now, there's a huge part in this is that do you believe or do you just accept? Do you believe or do you just accept? See, the biggest thing here is I believe in when we say we repent from something is that we are not only just accepting that Jesus died for our sins, but that we believe. The biggest difference between a believing and accepting is that if you accept what God did, it doesn't really change your life. It's just a nice fact in your head that Jesus died for my sins. And, you know, it's kind of what Paul was saying. You can't keep doing whatever sin you want to do uh, and thinking that God's death and Jesus' death for you will just keep covering all the time. You're taking for granted, basically, what Jesus died for. You don't truly believe. Acceptance is really just taking it for granted. It's some nice fact in your head, and you keep on living and sinning in the way that you want. But belief is where repentance comes in. Belief is life-changing. Belief is understanding and living out what God is calling you to do and saying no to myself, saying no to my flesh, saying no to all of these sins. And I'm going to be cognizant of what I'm doing. I'm going to be very sure of what I'm doing in my life so that I can avoid sinning as much as possible, though I may mess up here and there. Lord, I'm doing my best because of the belief in what you've done for me, that even though I'm not worthy of it, you died for me. You fulfilled this Levitical law. You fulfilled these offerings of sin in your swift, one-handed, one-day death for us and your shedding of your blood because you're the purest offering that anybody could ever give because you are God. That's belief. That's belief, not acceptance. Acceptance is just, I accept two plus two is four. It's just knowledge. It's just knowledge in your head. But when it becomes heart, when it becomes life-changing, that's belief. That's, tr that's truly what, when the Bible talks about, do you believe in God? It changes your life so that we don't have to come back and offer sacrifices. It changes our life to where we are obedient and we want to be obedient and we want to root out any disobedience in our lives, wherever it may be. That's the whole point of here. Without confessing our sins in here, without being a part of recognizing what you actually did wrong, that this is really just some worthless religious duty. In all reality, it's closer to witchcraft and magic. 
killing some animals or sacrificing some of mama's flower is basically just witchcraft. It might as well just be some kooky ceremony you do out in the woods. Because there's really no life change in it. There's really no realization that you were wrong. It's just some magic potion or some magic ritual that you do to just get rid of stuff so you don't have to feel bad anymore. That's the whole point of confessing your sin. That's the whole point of realizing what you did wrong is so that it gets into your heart and it changes your life and it brings life change. This isn't just some weird kooky religious duty. The purpose of this is for life change. The purpose of this is to align your heart with God. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for what he's done. You know, we see that I, I, sometimes I key in on certain words, and one of them was in verse 11 of choice flower. Even when it gets down to the point that if you're, if you're so desperate in your financial situation that you can't afford any of these animals to sacrifice, you have to still give up something that's still worthwhile and still somewhat painful. It's not just any flower. It's choice flower. The whole point of every bit of this offering system is that it's got to mean something. It's got to hit you in the heart. It's got to hit you where it matters. It's got to make sure that you understand like what the real penalty is at some form or fashion in your life. Sin isn't just something that we don't like. It's something that's killing us. It's something that's killing us. Then we need to get rid of it. And we need to understand that it, it matters. That's why the Lord is saying that, you know, when we get into verse 14, specifically saying a ram with no defects, it's got to be of, of high value to you a high percentage of whatever it is that you can afford. If you defile something that it's in the Lord's property, it's got to be, uh, you got to pay for that plus 20%. It's going to hit you where it matters. Because this is no game. This is no game. This needs to be life-changing in our heart. This needs to be life-changing for us to where God doesn't want you to have to do this sacrifice. That's the whole point. Let's not have to do this. Again, thank God for Christ. Thank God for what he's done on the cross that we don't even have to do this. So I challenge us in here that that's the whole difference between believing and just merely accepting. And we get many of people that just accept Jesus, but you don't see life change. Belief equals life change. The, one of the other things that really jumps out is in the last paragraph of verse 17 down is suppose you sin by violating one of the Lord's commands, even if you are unaware of what you have done. 
even if you are unaware of it, you are guilty and would be punished for your sin. The purpose of this is not to say, ha, gotcha. Ha. It's to let you know that, guess what? Absent-mindedness in life, moseying through life without a whim or a care, without being intentional with the things that we do, that's not an excuse. It's not an excuse in life. And too many times we know and see people that do that. They just mosey through life. Whatever. I, I know you all probably thinking of somebody right now in your head that's like, yep, they think life is a game. They think life is, is like whatever. It doesn't matter. They think life's a game. And that's the whole idea here is God says, this is not a game. This is not something you can be absent-minded to. Though, yeah, we may have times, but there's definitely your intentionality in life matters. Are you taking seriously what's going on around you? Are you aware of your surroundings? Or are you aware of your actions? Are you aware of your words? Are you aware of your deeds? We must be understanding of what's going on. Unintentionality, it's just not an excuse. We have that in our own law here. Not knowing the law is not an excuse. You must be informed. You must seek out what is right and what is wrong. We must seek that out. We must understand that. Just moseying through life is not the way to go. Be, you know, this also goes to so many times we see in our life, not just the attitude that we have, but a lot of people use things to be purposely absent-minded. And they purposely want to not feel. They purposely want to be numb. They purposely want to have lower inhibitions in life and in times. That's not any way to go through life. Anything that is altering your mindset to where you have lower inhibitions, you're not really present, you're up in the clouds, or anything of that nature is definitely adding to this where you're unaware of what's going on or what you're doing. This is why a lot of people say, well, why can't I smoke this? Why can't I drink this? Why can't I do whatever and such and such? It's not hurting anyone else. It's hurting you. You don't know what's going on. You don't know what's up or down. And guess what? It is hurting others. It is hurting others. You're just so absent-minded, you don't see it. We must be cognizant of what we're doing in life. We must be cognizant of understanding our on how we operate and how our actions and our words affect other people. Absent-mindedness is just not, it's, it's, not a, it's not okay. You are guilty and you will be punished for it. But there is a guilt offering. You must <clears throat> bring to the priest your own ram with no defects, or you may uh, buy one of equal value. And this is kind of where you would just offer this up. And, and like, I, I don't know, I may have done some stuff I'm not aware of. I may have done some stuff that I'm not too sure of, or um, maybe I'm accused of something, but I'm not really seeing it. 
and you offer this up and it, those are forgiven of what you're not aware of. But again, the whole point of all of this is to hopefully that you don't have to do this. You don't have to be uh, bringing these offerings that, that we are cognizant of what we're doing. We're careful with the words that we speak. We're giving out more love and encouragement. We're helping correct people with the truth of Jesus, with the truth of God's word, and helping them guide them through life instead of just allowing evil to continue. We have to be understanding of what is going on, and we have to be understanding of how we are speaking and even the times when we're not. Sometimes a lot of people just, I don't say anything. It keeps me out of trouble. But what trouble are you allowing by not speaking? Many people say, I just don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to get involved. If you know something's wrong, then you say nothing. Your silence is agreement. Your silence is allowing it to happen. So I pray that this kind of gives us a little bit deeper understanding of really what this is all about, what this was pointing to, and really a deeper, more appreciation for the sacrifice that Jesus did, that he died on that cross so that we don't have to do all of these offerings, but may it not just be acceptance, but true belief in our life true belief in our loved one's life, true belief in our friend's lives of what he's done for us so that we change our ways, we repent of our sinful ways and be obedient to his word today. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God we don't have to go through all of this. Let's be obedient to his word. Let's continue to praise our God for his love and so much of what he's done to try and keep us away from sin because he knows how destructive it is in our lives. And let's pray. Lord, we just, we just thank you for your word today. We thank you for us just being able to journey through all of what you have shown and done through your history through your Old Testament here of showing us all of the different details of what sin really costs. And ultimately, it's actually much deeper than any of this can ever really elaborate. That sin is killing us at a root and that we have to root it out. Lord, may our words be truthful. May our deeds be honoring of you and may we give you praise and honor. May we continue to praise your name because you've loved us first, because you sent your only son to die for us. Lord, may our hearts be turned even more to you. May we believe even deeper in the truth of your son, Jesus, in all that you do for us. Lord, I just pray a blessing over everybody on this call and everybody that's listening to this later. May you convict us. May you guide us. May you encourage us. And may you also embolden us to speak the truth of your son, Jesus. Spread the gospel and help others to not only accept, but believe in the goodness of your son. In Jesus Christ's name, I pray. Amen and amen.
You guys have a wonderful Thursday. We're going to have a great weekend. And also, I know all you ladies uh, in the Leadership Academy are going out this weekend. So I pray a blessing over you all uh, on that as well. And pray that you guys have a great, great conference uh, this weekend. And we'll see you next week. See you next Thursday. God bless and take care.